Good evening and welcome to the Jungle Gym's Weekly Roundup. Today is Tuesday, the 2nd of November. I'm your host, Gavin, and we're joined by Paddy and McGinty. How you doing, boys? All good, mate. Gavin, how you doing? Not bad, not bad. I watched your um, your pre-match review. A lot of optimism there at the weekend against Livingston. And then the post-match review, your faces were tripping yourselves. Have you recovered for it? No, is the honest answer. Um, as, as you alluded to, we were quite positive before the game. Uh, and then we actually watched the game and that just totally went out the window. It was a it was a poor result, especially on a day when we should have taken advantage of the position that we were in. It could have put us top of the league, albeit for one night. But uh, you saw what happened on Sunday. Um, the other team, they, cap, they capitalised on the us dropping points. They went away to Motherwell. They won 6-1 and... We're back in the, the passenger seat again. Just needing to see where we can go for you. That's it. That's it. One of the things I picked up from again in that post-match review is we need to dust ourselves down and start again. Uh, comparing that to the other stuff that you actually said, that was actually quite positive. Um, McGinty, are your, are your spirits still down? Are you kind of back up now? Uh, I think more than anything else, at the weekend I was annoyed with the, the officiating. From start to finish, I know it's a, a point we don't want to labour on too much about, and it never cost us the game in the sense that we didn't score, we fucked up the penalty and all the rest of it. So, not winning that game's at our feet. But I think the the refereeing performance got to me more than anything else. Whereas now, yeah, um, I'm where I was last week. I'm positive. It's four points that's in the in it between us and them. It's it's still somewhat in our hand. We we know they'll drop points in the next few games as well. We just need to make sure. We take maximum points going forward again. Aye, it's funny whenever you're watching it at the game, you you, you don't have the um the, the benefit of the the action replays and the different camera angles. See when Kyogo went down for the uh, the penalty, I turned round to like Joe Bloggs who was sitting next to me. Never even spoken to the guy before, and uh, I says to him, "Did you see that that?" Cunt fucking did that to him, man. And then when you watch it back on the replay, it was just a wee bit of a slap and Kyoko goes down. I'm like, oh, get away with one there, didn't he? But no, listen, the, the, the guy was the guy was six foot four. Kyoko was about five feet six or something. Do you know what I mean? And the guy's absolutely slapped him in the back of the head. Aye, it's not the greatest slap in the world, but he still slapped him in the back of the head. Uh, I listened, uh, I seen a, I seen somebody sharing one of that can Alec Ray's comments. And he basically called Kyogo a cheat. Says that he dived. Now, there's no denying that the guy slapped Kyogo, right? As I say, the guy's six foot four. He's a big bully, a defender. Kyogo got slapped. He gets done. It possibly could come across as a wee bit theatrical, but at the same time, there was physical contact. He was slapped in the back of the head. And do you know what? See if Kyogo. See, see if Kyogo's have to have had to have made that look mere. Sensational, if you want to call it that, for the referee to get a penalty. I don't care because mm. if there was physical contact, it's not as if he totally dived and he wasn't touched. Totally different. Do you think he'll be starring in the pantomimes closer to this Christmas? Well, I've seen him starring in the, the Halloween pantomime on the, the Celtic <laughs> website. That was good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Ah, it, was, it was all right. Like, you know, I mean, it was, it was the most timid uh, freak horror that you've ever seen. You know, I mean, the worst disguise True. ever. Very true, very true. Hey right, guys, um, back to back to the uh, the drawing board. Um, obviously uh, another kind of false dawn for Celtic. We we draw points where we were 
tantalisingly close um, to getting top of the league, which would have been a great recovery um, from the, the somewhat dreary start to the season. So the league position for Celtic, and let's get a bit of perspective in it. Obviously, we're gutted after the weekend, but let's kind of focus on where we are now and where we were then. Right now, we're um, sitting um, right behind Rangers. We're t- uh, four points behind them now. Uh, we're on 23 points now, and this is after 12 games, I think I'm right in saying that. So we've played 12, as I said, we've won seven, we've drawn two, and lost three. It started off looking terribly, and I think if we were to to, to go back to a few weeks ago, at, like, at the end of September, for example, the end of September was looking really, really bleak. A few of the Celtic fans were actually calling for Postacoglu's head. We'd, we'd got beaten away from home, uh, um, the, the spaghetti had, to Livingston. And then we, we drew one each at a parkhead to Dundee United. Another flat, flat game, a flat performance for Celtic. And then we got absolutely scalped by Bayer Leverkusen, who, I'll say it again, they, they will be the hardest team we'll come up against this season. So I hope we learn from that performance. But at that point, going into October, it was looking awful. We had one more game to play um, going, into, going into the October, and then we had the international break. So going in then, we, we played um, Aberdeen away. At that point, we've been over it so many times. We hadn't won away from home since Valentine's Day. And we actually got the much-needed win. And that was really, really character-building for us. And then we go on a great run. We, we go on an international break, but we come back and we, we resume that that um, that, that kind of good form. Um, so we, we beat Motherwell 2-0 away. We win 2-0 at home against St. Johnston. In between then, we, we beat uh, Fenich Varos at home 2-0. And we go away to Hibs. And Paddy, me and you, the last time we were on together for the podcast, me and you were um, singing the Celtic praises. Like, the, the opening half an hour was amazing. Mm-hmm. One of the best. Mm-hmm. He said it himself. 3-1. Things were looking fantastic. And then, of course, this weekend, that weekend there, we, we, draw, we, we, we dropped two points at home to Livingston. Um, to be honest, in all those games, uh, we only conceded what one goal, and in the past four games, we only conceded one goal. So, in terms of gauging our progress, how do we do that? Um, at, at times, we're, we've been looking shit hot up front, but we thought defensively we were really bad. But as I said, in the last four games, we've only conceded one goal. We've the back four, I know we've been kind of rotating the left back personnel, but everyone else has been steady, they've been getting to know each other. So McGinty, I want to start off with you. I know that's a bit of a, a long-winded intro for this particular topic, but it's good to get a bit of perspective. I think that's important. Judging it from when we were there, when people were calling for Postacoglu's head, and now, how do you kind of sum up? Where are your thoughts? Well, I, th- I think we've mentioned it a few times now on the podcast, um, the McGinty gauntlet, as it was <laughs> for the uh, for the, the kind of Aberdeen game onwards, or rather just after the Aberdeen game. Uh where we scooped through in that 2-1 victory. Uh, was that the first away game that we'd won this season? For yep. me, I laid down the the next eight games, which has taken us up to, I believe, the St. Johnston uh, semi-final just after the international break. If we can win all them, for me, it would be a, a great spell for us to turn the things around and things would be looking a lot more positive. The, the last five games we've played, we've only... As you said, I think we've conceded one goal in that time, maybe two goals in that time. Um, two, yeah. And we have, yeah. <clears throat> and we have dropped points, obviously, at the weekend there as a draw. 
They it's it's disappointing to have dropped that those points. It's disappointing not to have taken advantage of the playing the game ahead of Rangers and kind of putting them under a little bit of pressure and keeping keeping ourselves within a couple of points. But overall, those five games, especially the four games before, we're seeing improvements. We're seeing improvements with the the backline being so much more steady. Uh, it's by and large the same four or five uh, taking in Joe Hart as well. The the only place it kind of chops and chains a little bit is left back. However, I think we all can hold our hands up and say that Jovanovic would probably have played all those games at left back had he not taken an injury himself. So, yeah, it's steady. Uh, it's definitely progression. Starfelt's not a bomb scare as much as we thought initially. We're not conceding silly goals as bad as we thought. Maybe we're not scoring five or six goals like we did at the start, but I think generally, I think everybody, myself anyway, we're, we're looking at this positive. You go back last month, as you have seen there, Gavin, where, where we all were wanting his head and we're all saying another defeat against Aberdeen at the time. would have seen him probably lose his job within... The next couple of weeks, we all kind of looked at November and thinking, where's he going to be? For now, for me, he's got a grace period again. He's he's shown good signs of changing things around. One of the biggest things I'm seeing, apart from obviously the steady formation uh, and lineup, is that the inverted wing-back situation isn't as gung-ho as it used to be. We used to have both full-backs cutting inside, creating the, the midfield kind of control. But now it seems that only one's doing it while the other one sits back and kind of shows up the defensive line a little bit. And then the next one tries it. Mm. And they kind of take it in terms about how gung-ho they are about it. So I, I think that's something that we're learning. I think it's something that's positive. Okay. Paddy, moving on to yourself, one of the kind of key phrases that I took from McGinty there was Ange has earned himself another grace period. Do you think that Ange is still on probation as far as you're concerned, or are you more looking at it as a wholesome, the players as well? Where are your thoughts? Where do you stand, mate? No, I wouldn't mean, I mean, think he's, he's anywhere been in a kind of grace period. He's obviously, he's, he's a manager now. He's, he's still trying to implement his ideas and his, his tactics and his foundation. That, as you said, the, the September, was it September? Aye, September. September was pretty bleak. Uh, I know for me, I... <laughs> I was kind of at my wit's end uh, with the, the performances and the, the points that we were dropping. And then there was an upturn culminating with the, the Hibs game. First 45 minutes, as we said, was was incredible. And then we were hoping to mm. take that form. Like Livingston missed a chance there, a big, big chance. And it's still it's still quite galling for me, especially because we played Livingston at uh, the Tony Macaroni. And when we came to Celtic, we still came up against the same kind of issues. We struggled to break down their strict, rigid, kind of compact defence. And it was for the 90-odd 90, the 90 minutes that we kept trying the same thing. We kept trying to get through the lines, trying to keep crossing it in. We never went direct and went through the centre. I think we maybe had about two shots or something, but none of them really tested the goalkeeper. And that's appalling. It really was appalling. And... But you're, you're just hoping that that's going to be a blip. Really hoping it's going to be a blip because we're going to need to go to... We'll be going away on Dundee uh, on Sunday after we play Phoenix Varos. So we really need to just go out and continue to try and pick up another another winning uh, run as long as we can. As I said, that's us, that's us four, uh, four points behind you, isn't it? Tap spot. So it's, four it's points four, behind, uh, yeah. 
Aye, four four points when it really could have been two. However, can, uh, can you read into one thing? I know that I'm, I'm sorry, I know that I'm kind of cutting you off, know. but in terms of like gauging the progress, I know that we're four points behind, but goal difference, uh, we're on 19. Um, I know that I know that Rangers had a massive victory at six one against Motherwell, I think, at the weekend. Um so we're still five five goals ahead of Rangers. But uh, can you read into that as well? The, the the goal difference that maybe maybe the the league position doesn't really reflect how 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 shit hot we can be once we get it together because our Antipodean friends, by the way, that's the first time I've ever used that word in a in a sense before, they actually did tell us about it being a slow burner. And once he gets it right, he will get it right and we'll be we'll be loving it. So it might not be too much of a surprise that we find ourselves where we are right now. Maybe it's just we're expecting too much too soon. Do you reckon? No, I think we started off kind of brightly. So we've been kind of going up and down in spells. Um, as you say, we've got, like, we've got a, a really good uh, goal difference, which is great. But at the end of the day, the position in the league is the main thing. We're still sitting second in it. We're four points behind top spot. I it's no it's no a great stretch, but still it's it's another position that we failed to capitalise on at the weekend. So they're, they're really going to need to get a grip of themselves and basically just say, look, yeah, we need to sort out this kind of stupid silly mistakes. We need to go for the jugular. We can't just try and play the one fashion, i.e., like against Livingston, trying within the wings. You know, what I mean, they need to start being smarter. They need to start playing differently. Especially when, as I said again, sorry to keep repeating myself, we already been to Livingston away and we played exactly the same fashion. So to me, that showed in that that particular reverse game, there was a lack of plan B. There was a lack of some sort of a, you know, change information. They, they failed to identify the like, alternative. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, if you, if, if you keep crossing the ball in for 90 minutes, 90 plus minutes, and it's not working, that's after you've already been and done it for ninety odd minutes, and it didn't work. I think I read a, I think I read a stat, and it was like eighty-one crosses over two games, and it was we're still not scored a goal. So come on. See the whole plan B thing. I'm glad you brought that up. When I looked at the lineup and seen that Kyogo had been dropped to the bench, and um, the big Greek man um, is up at centre forward, I'm thinking. And, and we've heard that phrase before. I know that we, the, the, the scouts from VVV Venlo um, had actually used the phrase, um, Giamakis thrives on chaos. McGinty, I thought that the, the Saturday game with Giamakis um, playing ahead of Kyogo was going to be the plan B. But we never really inserted any chaos at all. He, he was stationary for a long part. And whenever he did try to get involved, he was very ineffective. <sighs> I don't even know how to flesh out that idea, that, that that question, because I was expecting an alternative. And although we changed that around, the, the playing style remained the same. What was your thoughts on that? What was your impressions? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah, we, we kind of said quite a bit on that, on the, uh, the aftermath. It really was a case of doing the same thing for 90 minutes. It hadn't worked after 60 when we started changing things. I think it was the 56th minute we've done the double substitution. And as Paddy says, we just we went on for the next half hour doing the exact same thing. And I agree with you as well, Gavin. We said it before the game. We, we saw Geomachus coming on, starting that game as a different way of playing. A big man up front, somebody to, to possibly get the crosses into. 
I think normally when you see the likes of Abada and Jota playing with Kyogo up front, it's more urgency and zippy balls coming through from the, the kind of wide angles along the deck sort of thing, or shots coming across and deflected balls coming through to Kyogo to follow up on. Whereas with Giamakis, with his height and his presence, you expect more, more crosses, more lifted balls, disrupting their back line, maybe balls over the top from Turnbull coming through the middle. We never saw it. It, it never really happened. And the odd times that we were trying it through maybe no fault of his own, Giamakis just wasn't getting on the end of anything. So why we persisted after the 60th minute to continue to do that, even while we had Kyogo on the pitch, was baffling. Um it was yeah. plan B to begin with, but it never materialised into any any success for us. Do you think it's too early to write off? We're going to kind of wrap up this part and move on to, to the next part for um, the injury latest and how we move on from here. But you see with um, Jack and Marcus, I think we're all probably in agreement far too early to, to sum them up right now. Or I was going to, was going to ask the daft question. Um, to totally contradict what I've just said there, but do you think um, Jack Amakis could actually be the, the main guy for Celtic? All right, Daza, how you doing? Hey, boys, how we doing? Sorry for the how delay. That's right. Uh, I don't think no, Jack Amakis um, is going to be the main so guy for joining Celtic. Us. Sorry? I was going to... I, I'll ask Daza this one. Daza, we're just kind of finishing up on the league position, trying to get a bit of perspective and moving forward, but before we kind of move on to the next part, for Jack and Marcus, do you think that he'll be, he could be that that target man that we want, like a, a Hesselink, or Jink will be more of a, a Rasmussen? Look, he, he had a bad day at the office on Saturday, I'm sure. He's about to that to death. Um, it was just one of the days that I just not, I think I say to you as it goes, because we, we played all night, we didn't deserve to win, so the penalty, um, we didn't do enough to deserve to win that game. Giamakis, um, if you'd have asked me this on the way home for the game, I'd have wanted them hung, drawn, and clawed. <laughs> um, but on reflection, I'm prepared to give him a wee bit more time. He's, he's still bedding in. Should they have took the penalty? No. But it is what it is now, you know what I mean? We just dust ourselves down and go on. That's it, mate. That's it. Right, let's move on to the kind of the next topic, the injury latest. Um We've already had our fair share of injuries so far this season. And by the way, another kind of thing that I want to remark upon, I must have not been paying attention as a football fan in, in the last how many years I've been following football. But see the amount of international breaks that you get even before Christmas? Unbelievable. We're already, like, after this weekend, we've got another um, international break. So but what I wanted to talk about was we've had two bad injuries recently. Uh, one in particular, uh, Roderick is out. So he's out for about two to three weeks. Um, he got his uh, a hamstring injury at Easter Road when we had that devastating win against Hibs, um, and he was instrumental in that. He's going to be a massive loss. We've also had Starfelt, um, who's got uh, an injury hamstring, uh, sorry, a, a hamstring injury as well, and then that that was sustained at the weekend against Livingston. So he's going to be out for at least two weeks. I know that Starfelt is not everyone's um, cup of tea, but it's worth kind of bringing up the fact that we've not conceded that many goals in October. We've only conceded uh, two goals, uh, once against Hibs and once against Aberdeen. So whether you like him or not, his style, his awkwardness, something has kind of clicked to an extent and the the, the defence has kind of showed up a wee bit. So I wanted to kind of ask you guys, who comes in to replace Starfield? McGinty, is it going to be 
um, the young boy Welsh, who was some people might say cruelly dispensed of. Uh, that's exactly what I would say. Um, Welsh started the season obviously alongside um, Beaton at points and then alongside Starfield when he came in. And Welsh seemed to be the only consistent focal point in that backline. I think he was harshly dropped for so long in the sense that he wasn't even coming off the bench too often to, to get a running game even challenge um, for a position. Once Carter Vickers came in, that was it pretty much showed up. Which I think is probably a good thing in the eyes of Ange has got two players that he wants to start. He's not resorting back to 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 Welsh in that sense. But I would like to have seen, seen Welsh get more game time by now. I think he deserves a lot more game time. And I hope that going into the, the next kind of week or two, that he is the one. I'd be disappointed, no offence to the guy at all, but I'd be disappointed if Neil Beaton was the one to fall back into defence again. Do you think there's a good chance, though, that Ange will opt for Beaton? Uh, yes, I, I feel that chance is there. Uh, I, I could understand why to some degree, but I think Welsh deserves, after his early performances, he was one of the only good performers in the start of the season. I think Welsh deserves this little opportunity. He's got a chance of two or three games here. Let him come back in, let him play alongside Carter Vickers, and let's get some real competition in the back line. Because if Beton takes that position, we all know it's temporary. He goes out, staff out comes back in, and that's the end of it. Whereas if Welsh comes in and actually performs well, he's a valid option at centre-back position. It's proper competition. And I will say one thing for Starfield being out injured for the next two, three weeks. See if any of these asked us this four weeks ago, last month. <laughs> we'd all been like, thank fuck. See, now he's actually been not too bad. It's mm. actually a slight miss to see him go out. It's an option that we don't have. I wanted to pick up with Paddy on the absence of Rogic. Rogic, as I said earlier on, has been instrumental. We can't stop singing the guy's praises. We've got two more games before the international break. So again, Rogic and Starfield, we hope after the international break, will be back fit and healthy. But between now and then, we've got Ferenc Varos, we've got Dundee. Rogic, um, when you take him out as a void, because Turnbull doesn't provide you that creativity. He's a different type of player. Who would you like to see fill that void? Well, see, just before I answer that, can I just retort back to uh, McGinty there? I think what you said was absolutely spot on. Now, Welsh might not be everybody's cup of tea. He might have done badly in some games, but for me, it's going to be Beton. Beton's going to be the one that Angel play, right? That's I think that's a, a certainty. But I think that Welsh should get the shot because Welsh is a centre-back and I'm sick to death of seeing us playing a, a failed midfielder at centre-back when we've actually got an out-and-out centre-back that isn't getting played at centre-back ahead of a midfielder. That's my only one concern there. Yeah. Um, but you know, but so, sorry, I, education as a defender. Uh, but even still, if you've got a defender on your books, then play a bloody defender. Stop playing no, a midfielder. No, no. Who can't get a game I mean. as a midfielder? It's part, it's part of Welsh's education as a defender to come back in. I, I agree with you guys. It's right to, to give him another bite at the cherry. Welsh. Aye, to come in instead of Starfield. Um, so, I've said for years so far, for, as well. For, for, so just one more thing on the Welsh thing. I've said for years that we don't develop players well enough. We don't bring them into the squad at a good enough age and give them the sporadic but consistent game time that they need. Welsh came into this game, uh, this first team squad was the last season, borderline going on 21, and he had barely kicked a ball before that. 
two or three years too late. This is the sort of thing that we want to see 18 and 19 year olds fighting to get into the team, taking the opportunities. This is the opportunity. He's now 21 going on yeah. 22. He shouldn't still be at this stage. And he played so much many games before now. He deserves to be playing more. He should be getting this opportunity. This should not be going to a versatile Neil Beaton. No face well, to see, the guy. See, see just now, I'm thinking about that actually. Just to go into the uh, Gav's question to myself. Now that I think about it, Welsh actually might get a shot because with Rogic being out, <clears throat> Beaton was played at centre mid. Yeah, true, true. Beaton was played at centre mid. And I believe a bad taste. Yep. See for sorry, mate, but see see the kids in the Colts team and the, the B team. It would leave a bad, a, a, give a bad impression to them if they see Welsh, who they're probably looking up to, Welsh, who's graduated to the first team, and whenever we've got our defender out injured, if Welsh wasn't to get that 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 that, that chance to go back into the team, they'd be thinking, "Am I really going to get a? Am I really going to have a future at Celtic? Am I really going to get a a fair fair chance?" It can leave a bad impression. Um, again, the best player plays in that position, so it's. But that's, but that's, what, what that's, exa- that's exactly what you've seen over the last couple of seasons. You've had promising guys like um, Liam Morrison. He left to go to Bayern Munich because there was no clear pathway in at the first team. Guys like Vincent Angelini left to go to uh, Liverpool, I think. Same again, no clear pathway. Now you've got guys like Welsh who are continually on the bench week in, week out. As I say, they might not be the greatest player in the world. They might not be everybody's cup of tea, but the boy's still an out-and-out centre-back and he's not no getting a game at centre-back or we're assuming he's not going to get a game at centre-back. But then, just as I'm saying that again, well, just as I'm saying that again when I'm thinking about Welsh might get a shot because Beaton's in midfield, I'm also forgetting that James McCarthy's back as well. So you might see James McCarthy coming into the midfield and Beaton dropping back into the centre-back. That's a spinner in the works that you've just thrown in there. Uh, I know. Right, three so, times, three, yeah. three times I've gone to myself. Aim, aim, why don't you, you take the platform for that? Amy's watching this downstairs and she's come up and she says, what about Liam Scales? She told, she typed out in her iPad when she came up. So, Amy, that's the question I asked for you. Um, anyway, <clears throat> uh, well, Welsh is going to, I think is going to be it. Every game now is an important game, and Welsh is a defender, Beaton's a midfielder. Um, will, uh, ta- uh, will Carter Vickers bring Welsh in a wee bit more, a wee bit more experience? Will that help Welsh? It remains to be seen. Um, so I'm hoping that it is Welsh because the boy never let us down, and the only reason he get the only reason he's out of the team is because more experience come into the team. Um, it's, but it's Julian's when he comes back the position you've got to say, aren't you? Possibly. P- possibly. I think Julian still has to earn it above Starfield. I know that that may be a controversial opinion, but if Starfield was fit right now, then I think it'd be harsh to, to take him off and put Julian on. But I think I think we'd all be over um, overjoyed to see Welsh um, go into the, the defence, but um, well, aye, so creativity, midfield, it was uh, so obvious. Um, Stevie Wonder could have um, told you that, that um, Roger wasn't playing at the weekend. So, how, how are we going to fill that creativity void in the midfield for the next two games? Forrest. Who wants to take that one? Forrest, McGregor, Tumble. 
Are you suggesting we play Forrest in the number 10 kind of role? I would argue no and put Forrest out wide and get Jotter in that position. I think Jotter can offer quite a lot in that kind of floating attack <coughs> the row. Especially if you look at that ball for the, the goal the other week there. Um, I, I think Jotter, I, I see where you're going with that one, does that, but I think Jotter would be the better option and keep Forrest out wide on the right. Uh, he deserves to come back in. better still. I'm presuming we're still going to play Kyogo straight through the middle at front though with Jotter supporting. Or whoever would be supporting. What do you reckon? Jota number 10 then? So Jack and Marcus is your number 9. Jota behind him number 10 and you still got your two wingers. What do you reckon, Paddy? Could it work? <sighs> Theoretically, aye, because your, your players are good enough. But I think... I've got a funny feeling that Andrew's going to stick with Jack and Marcus up front just to prove a point. <clears throat> No, in a bad way, but to prove a point that he's actually a good player. So then that leaves you kind of rotating your wings again. Forrest is back in the fold, so Forrest could potentially come back into the right wing. Um, Jot on the left. Maybe maybe a chance to play uh, Kyogo through through as, as the number 10 or the kind of, <coughs> excuse me, the kind of shadow striker behind um, Jack Amakis and an almost kind of alternative 4 4 2, but still being in the 4 3 3. Because we, def we definitely mm -hmm. need somebody driving forward for midfield. We can't just have three guys running about to get the ball and pass it wide. There's no direct uh, somebody making their runs right through, apart from Rogic, because Rogic is the man that can find space and out of bed with Jamie Collins, as the, <laughs> the old saying goes. But, um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, if, if we're going to rotate, I, I don't want to see... <clears throat> I don't want to see Beton coming in. I don't want to see McCarthy coming in. I want to see somebody that's going to open up spaces, somebody that's going to be able to slip people in. So you, you've even got the potential of maybe like a, a Mikey Johnson coming into that number 10 position. Possibly. What about, what about Callum McGregor? Can he do that? But at that point, you then bring in that defensive solidity, such as a McCarthy or a Beton, to, to fill well, that, that gap. That happened, didn't it? Mc, uh, McCarthy, uh, sorry, no McCarthy. Uh, McGregor moved forward when uh, the next game after Rogic got injured, so it ended up it was Beton was the kind of sitting midfielder. McGregor had moved forward into your kind of playmaker, and Turnbull had moved forward into your number ten position, but it just didn't work because Turnbull didn't offer enough. Neither did McGregor right enough. I thought he was he was the one that should have kind of made those runs for, further forward through the centre, but it just seemed to be. That there was a bit of kind of dilly dallying, and every single time they tried to get it, it went out wide. So I definitely want somebody there that will be, be be aggressive enough to go in and find spaces. And when you're talking about finding spaces, who's the best guy in the team that can find the spaces? It's Kyogo, isn't it? I thought the ball was like a hot possible. They played too safe. Like, like the Levy game, they played far too safe. There was no creativity. Nobody took a risk. But I think uh, the boys talked themselves hoarse on that one. The, the other thing, Hello. though, um, I was going to say that I think, I think McGregor, McGregor, if he was to play the number 10 position, he's probably too conscientious of his responsibilities that he'd had beforehand, um, linking the defence and the attack. And he might he might not trust uh, Beaton or McCarthy if they were to come in. And maybe that's why he might be ineffective. But it was quite telling whenever Rogic got injured and Postacoglu was talking about it. He said that uh, the playmaker position... Um, is something that we're, we're lacking in depth. 
and it might need January reinforcements to address that. I think we've got plenty of personnel now for the the the, the front three. I, I don't mm-hmm. think we would uh, disagree with that at all. And that's even not even talking about Dembele, who's still to come back for injury. So it might be possible that, that we'll go into the, the transfer market and get someone for the number 10 position to kind of compete with, with Rogic. But we've got Fenich Varos, that's on uh, Thursday night, um, 4th of November, 8pm, and that will be on um, uh, BT Sport. A uh, big game. Um, McGinty, what's your thoughts? Uh, pivotal, pivotal game? To kind of cement us again to Europa Sexy? <laughs> the Europa Sexy. Uh, yeah, uh, I think we, as mentioned last week as well in the roundup, it's, it's a game that we want to take three points from. We want to see six points off Ferenc, Ferenc Maros for for payback for last season. We want to prove a point. Um, they're definitely a bigger club than we initially thought. They've got more more players at a higher calibre than we thought. Um, but we definitely want to get those six points, get that next three points to give us the six points. I think with those six points, if my memory of the league table is right, it would all but cement us going through to the, the Europa Sexy, as you call it. <laughs> we would basically need Fernsvaros not to win their last two games or us just to get a point from the last two games. And I don't see Fernsvaros at this point. They've not got anything out of this group. I don't see them all of a sudden beating Betis and Leverkusen. So I'm confident. I'm confident we'll get the three points, uh, and I'm confident we'll get through to European football after Christmas. Aye, aye. So Leverkusen and Betis, they're on seven points each, and we're on three right now. So uh, it's, a, it's a, a big swing to overcome. Um, we've we'll still to play Betis at Parkhead. That'll be a, a fun, fun atmosphere, and I think it's potentially they're going to have some fans, um, their, their own fans to bring over to, to Glasgow. That that'll be great. Um, that'll be more exciting in Glasgow than the, the, the COP crisis that we've got, the COP 26 crisis we've got on right now in Glasgow. And then um, we've still to go away to Germany to play Leverkusen. So two difficult games playing against um, the Spaniards and the Germans, but going away to Budapest. Daza, you fancy it against this fire and Schwaros mob? Oh, you're on mute, mate. Aye, <laughs> sorry. Um, I do fancy. I think uh, I fancy us comfortably. Um, I was going to say a joke there about as long as we don't get beat, um, but I can't be bothered joking tonight. <laughs> so uh, no, listen. I, I fancy us today. I fancy. I think we've got enough to go there and there. It's the other two games that I don't know about. Um, I couldn't predict. I'm just hoping for that magical night at Celtic Park under the, the lights um, against the Spaniards and then um, take it for there. Aye, we're all looking forward to that game. It'll be a romanticism. And to be honest, it's, it's been a while since we had a, a giant killing at Parkhead. It really has been. Um, guys, moving on to a bit of a, a meaty subject. Um, I think we're looking forward to this one. So, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, but um, if you're a Celtic fan, you'll definitely be aware of this. So, uh, the Celtic board have been rumoured to appoint Bernard Higgins um, as a a senior um, security role uh, at Celtic Park. Now, Bernard Higgins, if you don't know about this guy, he's the Police Scotland's Assistant Chief Constable. 
And he's been, he's like a, a career cop. I think he joined Police Scotland back in 1988. So he's been he's been through the full the full trials and tribulations of what it's like to be a career cop, and he's risen to such high echelons that he was involved in kind of major things. He, I think he's actually in charge right now of organising the, the policing for COP26 right now in Glasgow. He's been in charge of uh, the Ryder Cup golf events in, in Scotland as well. Um, so he's no stranger to the kind of the high events. But this particular link that he's got to Celtic Park has been, to use an understatement, would be very, very unpalatable to Celtic. Now, whenever you were approaching Celtic Park, you had um, Celtic fans hanging out or ha handing out um, flyers. And this was um, a flyer which was endorsed by, I'll try and get this right, it was a statement endorsed by both the Green Brigade, the North Coast Celtic, the Boys, Celtic Shield and the Celtic Trust. So as I said, that was issue, issued out to all approaching Celtic fans at Parkhead on Saturday. And a protest was carried out by um, those fan groups. It was um, for the first 30 minutes of the game against Livingston on Saturday that they would um, stage uh, a silence. And then after 30 minutes, they bounced into life, which was great. But it was very, very surreal watching that, or being present at the game, whether you're at the game or watching watching the, the stream. And they displayed a banner as well, a very, very artistic, I like this one. And it said, it was um, a banner which had his face as an image, and it said, his evil eyes have no place in paradise. But, guys, I want to definitely get your thoughts on this, but to, to people who might not really have a clear understanding as why it's unpalatable for Celtic, I want to kind of give a little bit of context as to why um, this man... This man is uh, is by some of the Celtic support, so he's really close closely associated with the offensive banner. No, sorry, the offensive behaviour in football and threatening communications act. Now, this was an act which was introduced in the Scottish Parliament by the SNP back in 2012, and it was repealed six years later in 2018. The late James Kelly, who actually introduced the repeal of this bill to get rid of it. He actually described the legislation as having It was a liberal and unfairly targeted football. Now, this was both condemned by legal experts, human rights organisations and equality groups. Now, the whole reason behind the act was to, to kind of prosecute people for singing what, I would, what they would term as, in, in inverted commas, um, sectarian songs. And it's a question of where, where is the dividing line between free speech and offensive behaviour? And I think the architects of the bill who introduced it didn't manage to pinpoint it. And so whether you're singing anti-Catholic songs or Irish rebel songs, they were being conflated as being sectarianism, or being conflated as sectarian. And it's a very, very dangerous supposition to say that Irish rebel songs are sectarian. Um, so given that a bit of context, you can now understand why a lot of Celtic fans were vehement in their, their anger against this man. This man had defended the bill in Parliament, and the way that he executed the bill, it was um, very, very aggressive. The tactics were underhand, and that's why the Celtic organisations, the fan groups, got together to issue out this statement. Paddy, I wanted to start off with you. Whenever you saw the protests, whenever you saw the banner, how did you feel and did you think it, it was, did, did it make you proud as a Celtic fan that people united against that? Well, I think when you, you look at our kind of 
pure politics, you know what I mean? We generally have a a fan group that will voice their opinions. Um, and I think that the, the guys that staged the protest were, were absolutely well within their rights to to perform a protest on this particular matter. Now, I just want to say, I've, I've heard a lot of kind of underhanded comments from some people. I would call them underhanded comments, saying that uh, the Green Brigade and Off Cove, everybody else who organised this were, a, were, a, were out of order. They were a disgrace um, for doing a silent protest. That The team needed support on the part, this and that. Well, do you know what? It's not just down to the Green Brigade and whoever it is that's singing, the guys in the other corner up the top. It's, if everybody wants to make atmosphere, it's up to everybody, you know what I mean? They're no real cheerleaders. Um, they're there to voice their own opinions. They don't speak on behalf of everybody. So just leave them be, as long as it's no bothering anybody. Bothering anybody. <clears throat> but on to, their, on to their, their actual statement, I thought it was well put. I thought they identified where they were coming from pretty well on the, the social media platforms. They stated the reason why they were doing this. They brought up the history of kind of what they would deem as offences on behalf of fellow supporters like themselves during that whole <clears throat> terrible act. Um and we've seen it firsthand ourselves. There's a there was a there was a kind of famous incident and it was uh, just doing it the, the boatman end of the Gallagate where the Green Brigade were actually bottlenecked in by the police for literally doing nothing but standing there and just coming up. Um that day there was people assaulted by the police, there was people lifted for absolutely no reason, jailed, everything, um, just sheer aggressiveness and brutality, I would I would describe it as by the police, um, and other things that they used to do whilst this act was in was in motion, was that they used to actually come into, used to actually come into like pubs before games, and they would literally come right up to your face with a camera, see the way that they would kind of do if they were like looking for hooligans. If you want to call it that, they would be in people's faces, taking everybody's pictures, just totally aggressive. They would come in team handed in like, like a riot van, for instance, and they would just march into places where everybody was was uh, congregated before the games, i.e. like a pub or whatever. Um, and just just totally aggressive. And it was you, you didn't understand you didn't understand why what the what their tactic was. It was just totally to try and get a rise at you. They try and get you for anything, and you were, you were, you could have been literally just sitting there doing nothing. You know what I mean? And if this, if that this would man intimidate like, your average football fan. Exactly. They, they, they were. I, mate, I seen it with my, my, my own eyes. They were doing it at games with, like, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, it was a a European game, and it was Germans. I think it was Germans. It might have been. Uh, sorry, it was. It was Germans. There were German supporters sitting there, in the place that I was uh, in at the time. And the police bombarded in the door and they had a camera right up to their faces. Now, these people were over for, for a game. You know what I mean? This is the country that's been represented. Well, they're here. And this is the, the kind of, this is what they'd been met with. And they were asking, like, what is, what, what is going on yeah. here? Why, why are they, why are they, the, the question was, why are they so angry? You know what I mean? So that tells you everything you need to know. They were totally intimidating. They were violent. They were threatening. And, and they were, they were, they were they were trying everything within their power to to get people uh, jail spells. Totally unwarranted, totally unprofessional. Aye, uh, really, really well put. Thanks for that. And that's your kind of first-hand experience that, that you witnessed as well. I think 
the, the legislation was ugly enough because I think the Scottish Herald at that point back in 2012, they actually came out with a statement to say that Scotland cannot arrest its way of sectarianism. Um, it's been going on for years and years and years and the legislation was never ever going to eradicate that. They were targeting the wrong people. Um, tar targeting the wrong and wrong people. Um, it was it was ugly in the way that it was implemented by the police. It's almost like they had carte blanche to, to act in whatever way that they seemed appropriate. And it's worth pointing out that it was the police who actually determined what they felt was sectarian mm -hmm. or not. Um, Daza, whenever you were like, approaching the game and you saw the, the leaflets being handed out and you saw the banner and you saw the, the unity amongst the Celtic fans, um, how did that kind of trigger with yourself? Um, well, I didn't really know what was happening. Um, we must have been living under a rock. So I got the I got the leaflet and I read I read through the leaflet and then I kind of understood. And then I asked my pal next to us um, what was happening. He kind of gave us a rundown. But what I will say is um, I've only ever seen twice that I can remember that the Green Brigade have made a point with a banner and it's been stand and evaded by the full entire. Uh, crowd, and that was the who dares to speak of Easter week one, and that one the other day, um, unjust laws. Um, they went out, put many many young men and women and wains um, were incriminated for singing a song that they can deem sectarian. I've always says that if you point the sectarian lyric to me. Then I'll I'll stop singing it. Um, so, aye, I, they were on point, and it was good to see everybody uh, respond the way they did. And by the way, uh, see yeah. before we go, Gav, I see where you posed an hmm. see where you posed the initial question. I'm going to write that down and pose it to my pal, so they think I'm clever. I was like, well, blown away there. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I didn't come, didn't see me kind of come off that way. Um, but another thing, McGinty, in terms of like uh, gauging the the temperature of the room, this is maybe another thing, um, which is putting putting the board, the Celtic board, against the Celtic support. We've already highlighted uh, the the groups have highlighted their concerns to the Celtic board. Now again, it's an alleged an alleged appointment of this man Bernard Higgins. The board has not yet confirmed it, but neither have they denied it, and they've not been forthcoming with the response. And the uh, the statement um, posted out, we've actually got an image of it. So what we'll do on Twitter after this after this interview or after this episode, we'll we'll put out the the image of the flyer on our own Twitter page, so the the people who are watching us can actually actually see it. But the 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 response the, the the statement from the fans group said that. We will continue to campaign against the board and campaign against Bernard Higgins until this is dead in the water. So this is another thing which is kind of putting the board against the fans, not gauging the temperature of the room. What's your thoughts, mate, on that part? I'm actually really proud of the, the supporters groups all coming together. I know we've got, what is it, the North Curve kind of global kind of umbrella for, for a lot of the fans groups. I'm glad to see that they've all came together for this one point, at least anyway, because it's it's definitely something that all fans, even if you've not had any direct uh, interactions with the police during those years because of this uh, Offensive Behaviour Act, it affects all of us in some different way. As Daza was saying, 
name the lyric in the songs that we sing as Celtic fans that's sectarian and we'll stop it, but none of them can. We've seen jumped up charges getting brought up against Celtic fans and they get thrown out and caught. We've seen Celtic fans getting chapped on the door at 6am in the morning, hauling them out of their bed for jumped up charges. We've seen Celtic fans, as Paddy said earlier, a couple of years ago when we were celebrating and was it doing the Gallagate, they're headed into a corner. We've seen Celtic fans outside Celtic Park when we were running, when we were running trebles. We, the police kind of congregating us in, trapping us into our own bloody streets and steams. Whereas alternatively, and I don't mean this to be a, a us and them thing, because this affected every club and every fan, mm-hmm. but you see other incidents <clears throat> where the police are policing football fans. It's different now that the Offensive Behaviour Act's been abolished. I'll say that as a, a little kind of nicety to them in that sense, where we also saw over the summertime fans were allowed to kind of walk up and down all the streets and rampage through the city as they, as they deemed fit. The whole thing during those years of that behaviour act was 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 terrible. It's a shit fucking act. It criminalised normal fans. And it's good that normal fans today are still reeling from that because we should not let this guy near our club in an official capacity. By all means, he might be a Celtic fan from what I understand. So be it. But as a professional uh, person who was 100% behind that, that act, and he, he was coming up with lines of, I'll charge anybody who's basically calls me baldy. That's just <laughs> emphasising how much of a power hunger that was, that whole act. He was wanting to criminalise innocent fans for daft things. This sort of person should not be near Celtic at all. And it's great to see the fans come together. And I hope we do it more often because there's other things that are happening. It might just be a rumour just now, but we've seen these rumours before. Gordon Strachan, as a technical director of some kind, was a rumour for months before it became a three-month stint. Let's see what happens after that three-month stint. The last week rumour was Graham Matthew as the director of football. All's went quiet, but we know how Celtic works. These things get leaked out in a certain way to test the water. Mm. Hopefully the fans have done mm. enough now to tell Celtic and the board to fuck off with this shite. Here, here. Aye, uh, well said. Well said, and everybody. Um, I think it's good point. Well done. Uh, you should be aware of people. You should be aware of people who glorify the power that they're given, and people who crave for more power. And it sounds like this Bernard Higgins is of that ilk. And the Celtic board should never align themselves with anyone who is associated with the deprivation of free speech. I think Celtic, with, with our history of our past, you know, like even in the fifties, we were told to get rid of the tricolour flying above um, the stadium. Um, we've 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 lived in an environment where we've had to fight for our own rights, and this is another thing which a, a bill was introduced and it was repealed again six years later. We've came through that, but for the board to actually align themselves with a, a man of that character, um, it's dangerous. It's dangerous, and it does drive a wedge between the Celtic tradition and the fans. And the board need to realise that they need to know um, whether what what side their bread is buttered. But let's throw a line under that. Quite a serious one. I feel the tension in the room right now. <laughs> um, wanting to move on to a more kind of light-hearted topic. Um, our fullback Anthony Ralston has put on put in a massive shift this this um this season so far, and he's received his just rewards. 
So Anthony Ralston, he's been given a contract extension until 2025. I think the boy joined Celtic when he was like an eight-year-old. And by the way, see, watching his interviews, the guy speaks really, really well. Um, I don't mean to bring down like the, 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 the likes of James Forrest, who sounds like a bit of a nugget sometimes in his interviews, <laughs> but Ralston actually comes across really, really well and articulate. Um, so he made his debut for Celtic back in 2016, and he's been on loan at what, um, like Dundee United and St. Johnson. Uh, he's never really had a consistent run of the team. I think probably everyone, um, their most abiding, for me anyway, my most uh, memorable moment for Ralston was when he squared up to Neymar again, um, at the, in the Champions League game, Celtic and PSG. And uh, Neymar didn't take too kindly for that. But I always associated Ralston's limited ability but he's got a bit of character. And it was more of a kind of comical effort, you know, um, a, a comical moment. And I, I always wanted to, to, to say that'd be that'd be a shame if he was always remembered just for that one moment. It'd be good to him actually show his football ability because he's a footballer first and foremost. And so he's been rewarded. Um, he's put in a massive stint. He's been playing right back. He's got four goals in all competitions this season, three in the league, one in Europe. And... Um, He's had his detractors, but he's done brilliantly so far. Paddy, what's your thoughts on Ralston, his progress, and overturning the doubters? I think it's been quite well documented over the course of, over the course of the, <laughs> our podcast that I very much started out as a detractor. I think quite rightfully so. Maybe a wee bit over the top sometimes, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. But he's, he's turned around in his Celtic career that... For this season has been has been tremendous. Um, as I said, he, he, he was kind of thrust into the team, given a chance before to cobble out this new system. And I think uh, McGinty said it earlier on: the, the system was quite gung ho. You looked at guys like Montgomery being your left back, Ralston being your right back, and being asked to do a job other than fullback. They were asked to be a midfielder a winger, a number 10, a defensive midfielder, all in the space of one single movement. Ralston, looking back, had to put a lot of effort into understanding that role. And for the last four or five games, I would definitely say that he looks to be taking that on board. As I said in one of the other videos as well, I watched him live down low uh, in the stadium. And I looked at his off-the-ball movement and it was fantastic. He was anticipating everything. He was in the right space. He wasn't kind of static. He wasn't slow. He was getting into those those positions that he was asked to be in. And it was it was flowing as the game was flowing. Like if we were on the attack, then he was getting get, getting into the middle. He was getting involved. He was passed out wise. And then he was he was kind of making overlapping runs after the ball had left his feet. It was really, really good to see. But I think looking at his contract, I think you're, that's what, another four years, four years, something like that, um, you're, you're tying four him years, down, right. four years, right. you're, you're tying him down for a good portion of his career, um, as well as that, you've also got Juranovic for like another three or four years, so really that's your right back position kind of <laughs> sorted as it stands, you've got two guys there that can vie out for the position, obviously Ralston's number one right back now, but it's up to him now, to continue on his development, continue on his form, keep that right back and keep learning and keep progressing in the team and keep helping the guys run about him because he's turned into like a, he's, he's really turned into a, quite a leader. 
for for somebody that's twenty two and really hasn't had a lot, a lot of kind of first team experience with Celtic. Aye, that's true. That's true. Um, McGinty, I was going to go into yourself because I know that you've got your own opinions, your own strong opinions that you hold about Rouse. And, and by the way, just kind of acknowledge we had uh, Joe Porter who'd uh, messaged in on the live chat to say that he needs to be in the Scotland squad. And that's something that, McGinty, I'm sure you've got a few uh, comments on. But Daza, I wanted to kind of ask yourself about this. I was thinking earlier on the day about... Um, once it'd been confirmed about Rouse and getting his, uh, his contract extension, and I was like, well done, wee man, um, you've really earned it. And I was thinking about other kind of fullbacks who've came through um, the, the youths at, at Celtic Park, like, um, like Paul Caddis and, and um, Stephen Craney, who went on to have like, actually no bad careers in England, but they never quite made the cut um, at Celtic Park. What do you think the future holds for Did okay. All right, um, you cut out there. Um, Ralston, well, he's just, signed a, he's just signed his new contract, so therefore the future holds a good place him at Celtic Park. I don't think we're going to cash in on him because he's no prolific enough to cash in on the new. You know what I mean? So he's no sought after. So it's no one of them signings um, that you, you, you give the you now you give a new contract to just to get to drive the price up. So therefore. His future is firmly at Celtic Park. <clears throat> Before Paddy kind of stepped on every kind of point I was going to make on it in his <laughs> mega rant, um, it's his jersey to lose. He's working hard. How he never get into the Scotland squad today um, irritates me and it irritates me more about Scotland um, to the point where I'm like, I have, do you know that? You're like, ah, fuck, he's in. Do you know what I mean? Um, he's the best Scottish left back in the country. Whether right, right back. Sorry, right, right, right back. Sorry, uh, he's the best Scottish right back in the country. Um, and the only other one that comes close to him is a boy at Aberdeen. In my opinion, is it Ramsey? Ramsey. And the only no, the other the other two O'Donnell. Okay, he's got a wee bit more experience, but is he as good as Ramsey and Ralston? I don't think he is. Um, so therefore. They're, they're, the, they're the two that's regularly playing for their clubs. And if well, and Donald's regularly playing Another for their Another key role. point. Another key point, so, regularly playing. So, Steve Clark's a fucking moon unit. There you go. I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold back. That's what I like. Don't hold um, good points again. So uh, that leads us on to McGinty. What's your thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, for me, I've got a couple of points. One is obviously the contract extension for Ralston, and then I want to touch on that Scotland call-up or the lack of a Scotland call-up as well. I'm not against Ralston getting a new contract. I'm going to say that first and foremost, and I want to remind people at the end of this that Again, I'm not going to be opposed to him getting a new contract. It is running out at the end of this season. However, four years seems like a long time for me for a guy who three months ago we spent four years trying to get rid of. It felt like he's in good form just now. He's, as we said, we stats. He's played, I think, 21 games for Celtic so far this season. He's got four goals, I think two or three assists as well. He's coming in with some last-minute kind of lunging tackles, running back and tracking back. 
I said earlier on in the chat as well about the inverted fullbacks, wingbacks. It's not so gung ho. He's learning that position a lot better. He's buying fully into the Ange philosophy of football. He was one of the first ones, probably alongside Welsh, of the kind of younger generation to actually get the system. Although, as I said, a bit gung ho with the uh, the fullbacks being inverted and whatnot. For me, he does deserve recognition. He does deserve some sort of new deal because, as I say, it's running out at the end of this season. But four years seems like a long time for me. When this purple patch, I'm going to keep calling it purple patch until we maybe get nearer to the end of the season. Definitely after Christmas and New Year. We want to see more from him consistently, I think, prolonged period to deserve such a long contract. I don't imagine it's a big value contract to him more than what anybody else here in this room is on, obviously. But for me, two years would have been more bene- uh, a more beneficial thing where we're not tied down to somebody who perhaps might fall back into old ways of just not being that great. But all credit where it's due. He has played well and he does deserve a new contract. So it's really my issue is the length of the contract. That all said, his consistency, his regular gameplay... 21 games, his goals and his assists and his tackle and whatnot, he should be in that Scotland call-up, in that Scotland squad. We all said it last month, he should have been in it as well, and all he's done since then is go on to prove me wrong that he actually is good enough to be in this side just now. And he's good enough to be in that squad. Definitely ahead of O'Donnell, who's played, I think, 13 games for Motherwell so far this season. So he's played a considerable less games, and he's not on great form. The only thing that O'Donnell's done good this year is that England game in the summer. The other two games, he was pretty fucking woeful, to be honest. So for me, consistency-wise, Ralston's the better player and more more experienced at current to be going into that role. Ralston should also be above Nathan Patterson in my eyes because Nathan Patterson has only played 94 league minutes this season. I think he's played five games in total one of which was definitely a four-minute substitution appearance, so maybe four games at most. I've got a lot of time for Nathan Patterson and a Scotland jersey because I think he does have a lot of potential, but it should be Ralston first, then Patterson in my eyes. For a player who's able to play that position well, that is playing it well, and high potential in Nathan Patterson and still potential in Ralston, you're looking at a 20 and a 22-year-old. For Scotland, that's the next 10 years of a right-back position there to be encouraged and developed. But what are we doing in Scotland? We're, we're getting caps to Stephen O'Donnell last year as a 27, 28-year-old. He's now 29. If we get to the World Cup next year, he'll be 30 going on 31 by the time that World Cup rolls around. Is he going to make it? He's definitely not going to be at the next championships after the World Cup. So for Stephen O'Donnell, he is a one kind of campaign kind of wonder just now, and he's not even a wonder at that point. He's, he's very much in the present and he's not that great when we've got two young right-backs wanting game time for Scotland, which we should be giving them to. Fair enough. Um, well, fair play to you for kind of sticking your head above the parapet and uh, being... You're not too overjoyed with um, Rouse and getting the four-year contract. Brave of you to say that. I would personally disagree, but fair enough um, to kind of get a bit of debate. Is anyone able to bring up Kenny's last point? Because I think Daza wanted to make a point about um, his contribution to that one. I I just read the, the Kenny saying there that um, three or four months ago, um, 
we would all want him. Uh, we, we wouldn't want him near, near the team. But he got near the team. And three or four there months later, and, and three or four months later, we're now all glad he's in the team. He scored some vital goals. He saved some vital goals. So, no, listen, and for, I think four years good. I think four years a good reward for rolling your, against it, rolling your sleeves up, getting your head down, working hard, and earning the, and earning the just rewards. So, so, sorry, I disagree with you. Hey, and the thing is, it's a podcast we I, can't I, I all agree add on to that. If we gave him a one year, ex- yeah, if we only gave him a one year extension, then that would tell him that Ange, despite him trying his fucking heart out, Ange still doesn't have confidence if he only got the one year or two years. And he has to think about, what is he, 22 years old now? He needs to think about his future as a as a footballer. And I spoke about earlier on, I don't know if it got caught out with the, the internet lagging, but people like Paul Caddis, Stephen Craney, who never really worked out for Celtic when they came through the, the ranks and they went down to England and they made a proper career out of it. Um, so he might have been at that crossroads and he's now been justly rewarded for good, honest, hard work. But... McGinney, fair play. If you were a disciple, I'd call you Doubting Thomas and say ye have little faith. I'd call him. I'd, I'd call him Judas. I am waiting for Anthony <laughs> Ralston to prove me wrong. I want to see this purple patch become a, a prolonged period of success for the boy. I want to see him deserve that four-year contract. I just feel that the two years would be maybe better for both. I mean, we can extend his contract as many times as we want. Two years now. Readdress it next summer. It has been mutual. Three years. It has been so, mutual. So be, yeah. But then, see, game, see, a four-year deal, right? You're tying him down until he's what, 26, 27. So you're yeah. getting the best of his younger years as as a player. Um, so even if he fails to progress on, which I don't think any certainly want, but you've still got like four years uh, left on his contract. So if anybody wants to come in and buy him, then you've Right away, you've got kind of you've you've got the monopoly on his on his value. You you hold you hold all the cards. Aye, but uh, you, you see the air you've got. Uh, what's his face? Um, Patterson and Ralston for Scotland. You, you're 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 hoping that you're going to have two guys there for the best part of ten year, being your next right back. So surely you should transpire that then back to Celtic when you've got Ralston, who's currently holds a currently holds a jersey at right back. And you've also got Juranovic, who's what twenty-five, and he's on another four years contract. So right away, you've got two guys there who are essentially going to be part of your well, on paper, part of your team for the next four years. And they're all, surely they should only grow. And if you've got two guys there that are competing for a jersey, you're going to have either one or the other or two of them up in their standards to try and keep that jersey or try and win the jersey. And for me, do. if you if you've got Juranovic and Ralston in the form that they are just now and the capabilities that we know that both of them can perform it this season, if those two are competing for the right back jersey for the next three years at this level, if not better, I'm happy. I'm absolutely ecstatic about it. One doubt I do have, and it's because I'm always being let down by Celtic, we better not end up keeping Ralston at right back and keeping Juranovic at left back. Left back is still an issue that needs sorted, and Jovanovic playing there is not the answer. Not mm. when it becomes that Ralston's the only right, right back option, You've become too weak in, in depth. I've been occasionally uh, let down by Celtic. 
No, always. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, I like it. I like it. Um, McGinney, I know that you were. Aye, moon unit. By the way, I'd never heard that phrase before. <laughs> a moon unit. I've heard a space a, cadet, but moon unit is a new one for me. That's, that's an East End one, mate. <laughs> Fucking moon unit. <laughs> uh, McGinty, I know that the, the Scotland squad got announced. Uh, there was only um, two two Celtic players um, who were involved, so Cal McGregor and uh, Turnbull. Um, quite quite a change for yesterday here when it used to be like half the squad would be like Celtic fan, uh, Celtic uh, players. But you're seeing that you've got a lot of players doing it in England right now who are uh, Celtic supporters, such as like your John McGinn's, your um, Kieran Tierney's, etc. etc. Um, do you think it's a bit of a shame, like if you're a Scotland fan, um, to only see two Celtic names on the team sheet in the squad? Um, yeah, and nay. Uh, I, I like to look at it more as if we're doing our job right as a club, how many players have we developed who came through the club and then moved on and still count them as products of Celtic? So you're looking at Armstrong, who's came through the club, you're looking at uh, Tierney, who's obviously in the squad as well. I uh, don't know if Armstrong's actually in the squad or not, but he came through Celtic at some point. So there's the Celtic-minded people in there. Is there enough? No. I would like always like to see more. But then that's a bigger topic about us developing footballers properly, which ties into what Paddy was saying earlier uh, about some of the young talents, such as like Morrison going to Bayern Munich and stuff. We're not offering that pathway. So maybe that's the reason why now we don't see as many Celtic players in that lineup. Or sorry, in that squad, how many would there be? James Forrest arguably would be, but he's on the back of an injury, so he's probably not being risked. Anthony Ralston definitely deserves to be there. After that, you know, apart from obviously McGregor being in there, who else and Turbul? Who else really do we have at Celtic that has actually been developed to that level at current? Here's one for you. Um, this might be a, a, a lazy one, um, worthy of a tabloid or worthy of some shite reporter like Alex Ray. But um, <laughs> one guy who I think has still failed to get into the Scotland squad, and we were talking earlier about possible um, reinforcements for the number 10 position, would you take Ryan Gold, who appears to be doing well in the MLS? I would be taking Ryan Gold, Aaron Hickey. I would be taking Turnbull, uh, sorry, not Turnbull, uh, Stephen Welsh. I'd be taking all these guys into the squad because I'm an advocate for playing. I mean, I mean, young I mean, talent. Celtic. Would would you would, oh, would you recruit would you recruit Ryan Gold for Celtic for the number ten position to compete with Tom Rogic? I Again, don't that know. A, a and, question, but I don't know enough about his actual style to know if he would play the Tom Rogic role or if he would play the the David Turnbull role. Uh, more Rogic's being able to more break the line and support the striker going forward and uh, splitting the defence sort of thing, whereas Turnbull likes to just sit a bit deeper, be a bit more slow-paced on the ball and kind of spread it when he can. I don't know if, he, I don't know if Ryan Gold would take that position. Um, I would always like to have seen Ryan Gold at Celtic at some point, mm. but I don't know if he actually would add anything to this, the midfield just now. We definitely, though, do need another couple of midfielders. We are short. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Aye, and actually, see, when we approach a January transfer window, I will be buzzing to be talking about, hopefully, um, more more kind of transfer rumours. We all feed off that stuff anyway. Um, so I'll be loving to talk about that. But, guys, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. So 
We've been over um, the uh, the league position for Celtic, a bit of perspective. We've been over the injury latest and how we, we go from here. So the next two games we've got is the Ferenc-Varos game. That's on Thursday, 4th of November, 8pm. So we will try and do a post-match review of that one. And then afterwards, this weekend coming, we've got Dundee. We're away from home on that Sunday, the 7th of November at noon. And then, of course, we've got the international break, which we all fucking love. Uh, apart from that, we've spoken about mm. the Bernard Higgins. His evil eyes have no place in paradise. And Anthony Ralston, um, who has got his just reward for honest hard work. But wrapping up for tonight, guys, the, the viewers watching at home, thank you very much for actually uh, tuning in tonight. So, of course, you can use on YouTube, which the majority of you may have been watching us on tonight. So please hit the like button, please hit the subscribe button, and please share the video with your fel fellow Celtic fans. We're also on Twitter, so you can follow us on the Jungle Gems pod on Twitter. And, of course, for that flyer that we were talking about earlier on, the flyer that was handed out by the Celtic um, supports, we'll, we'll, we'll put an image of that so you can read it in full. We're also on the um, Facebook. Uh, the Facebook, the, that, that's coming from a guy who does not do Facebook, a technophobe <laughs> like me. So it's the Facebook group page, the Jungle Gems podcast. And finally, if you're out walking your dog, then why don't you put us on Spotify? We're on that as well. So, aye, a good one, guys. Uh, I'm glad we, we got the, the full team together tonight. Any last words for many years before we head up? We need a jingle. See, when you said, when you were getting in there with that Bernard Higgins thing, I was expecting, like, the Scots sport tune to come on now. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely need a jingle. I, I hear that uh, Paddy might be not too bad with the guitar. Maybe he could play us a wee tune one day. Aye, juice yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Only, only if I'm getting paid for it. <coughs> but um, listen, I, I didn't want to interrupt you there, Gav. I know you've kind of overlooked a wee point there. But um, just, just for the viewers, um, obviously we're, we're continuing to churn out our, our weekly podcast. We're, we're new on a new system. We're uh, doing live uh, pre- and post-match uh, reviews. But what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and kind of swap it up a wee bit every now and again. Um, and what we're going to do this month is we've been lucky enough to be... Uh, graciously accepted by two guests to come on. Um, so on the 16th of November, which is Tuesday, we're going to have uh, Dale O'Reilly on from the Celtic Supporters Podcast. Uh, Dale's a great guy. He's turning out some great content as well. Great guests. Uh, he's also doing some fantastic charity work, so I'd love to get him on uh, and speak about that. And he's graciously accepted. And on the 23rd of November, again, another person who along with Frank McAvenny, Celtic legend, is putting out a weekly uh, podcast, and it's absolutely tremendous. It's the, the one and only Tommy Sheridan. Uh, Tommy's agreed to come on the podcast too, which we're very thankful for. So um, I saw that's two great guys coming on this month. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll keep everybody posted on uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, where else? Uh, Facebook and Twitter, um, just before they're coming up. So uh, that's, that's two, uh, two good uh, Nice to look forward to. I'm buzzing for it, man. Uh, really happy mm. that we're reaching out to other Celtic podcasts as well. And it's all about people helping each other. Obviously, we've been doing it for, what, two, two and a half months. And um, mm. getting that networking going. It's great great for us, but great to learn from other people's perspectives. And especially Dale. He's getting on like really, really interesting guests every every episode. And um, it's, it's a different viewpoint. And um really, really happy that, that we've... Um, We've got him coming on to, to kind of add to what we've got right now. So brilliant. So, so I, I hope the viewers enjoy it whenever it does happen. 
So, so just to finish that off, mate, if, 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 anybody, if all the viewers can do us a favour, have a wee look at Dell's podcast, which again is the Celtic Supporters Podcast, that's on Facebook. And uh, again, you've probably saw it. Uh, to, uh, I'm, I'm Frank, he's Tommy. Brilliant, brilliant podcast. Uh, Tommy Sheridan, Celtic legend, Frank McAvenny. Uh, sorry, did I say Frank McAvenny? Frank McGarvey, my apologies. Um, so excellent, yeah, excellent. Sorry, my sincere apologies. Uh, some excellent stories. Some great banter. Aye, just give that a wee watch as well. And last thing, before we go, McGinty, what is the football top that you're wearing? Oh, this week's effort is uh, Colorado... Words. Colorado Rapids. It's, uh, I think it's their away top, but it might actually just be like a, a special collection that they had. I've managed to get shipped in from America. This is cl- called the Class 5. I don't think you'll notice it too much, but within the design itself is actually the five mountain ranges within Colorado itself. So it's all the kind of topography. The really nice number, uh, similar colours to some of the stuff that we've got from Adidas this year as well, with a kind of mint green kind of colour. Very nice. Bring a bit of culture, mate. That is what you're trying here for. to. Trying to. Excellent. <laughs> Anyway, uh, great opinions. Uh, loving the fact that we got the full team on tonight, as I said. So, from myself, from Dazzy, uh, Dazzy, Dazbo, Anthony, and Paddy, um, <laughs> thanks again. Okay, cheers. Good night, guys. All the best. Hail, hail. <laughs>